fire and brimstone. It's got to be the Four Corners Podcast. We want to welcome everybody to join us tonight. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. How are you guys doing? I'm doing fine, Shad. I have a, uh, a nice glass of uh, Proper 12 whiskey in front of me. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the Conor McGregor whiskey. <laughs> Is that the whiskey you uh, drank right before you go uh, through a dolly through a bus window? Yeah, if you if you're in need of a good whiskey when you want to get really drunk and then go start a riot at the Barclays Center, uh, it's it's for you. That's what you want. So, what about you, Brad? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Glad we um, we're actually having a show because it felt like we were a little snake bit going into this one. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. We had some stuff fall through and. Yeah. Um, Almost had some more fall through, too, but <laughs> as it stands, we soldier on, we persevere, because we seek to bring the dozens and dozens of our fans out there quality content every week, so, or our best impression of it. So to pull the curtain back a little bit for anyone listening, we've spent the last probably better part of six months trying to get a couple of more um, regional indie wrestlers on that um, Shad worked with over the years. And we've come to learn that being a promoter is kind of hard and booking wrestlers is not as easy as it looks. <laughs> it's really not. Um, being able to plug the hole whenever you don't have who you were hoping for. That's that's very true. And that's also why the belt stays on the same people all the time, because you know who's going to show up. But uh, <laughs> But here we are. Here we are. Through fire and brimstone and and missed bookings and flu bugs, here we are. Yeah, you know, uh, this this is actually probably the best time if I actually could do like a Dennis Stamp impression. <laughs> it just <laughs> slide that in right there. Like, I'm, I'm I, come booked. on, but I'm not, I'm not booked. I'm, I'm not, not booked, Terry. <laughs> I like on. how your your oh, Dennis. Come on, come on, Dennis. <laughs> I like come how on, your Dennis so... Stamp is your is like halfway down on the gas for your Terry Funk. Exactly. Do you think, do you think like younger <laughs> wrestling fans have seen Beyond the Mat? If they haven't, they should. They really, really should. That's that really... movie is like twenty years old at this point. It is, or close to it. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I would hope. Listen, if you're out there listening to us, and you have not. Oh, this is. <laughs> I was apparently I was going into an inspirational speech. Uh, is that Edge of Seventeen? By, no, uh, I thought Nicks it was. Or? I was looking for a sound clip of um, Dennis Stamp going. I'm not booked. Well, if you're out there, that. if you're out there as a as a wrestling fan and you have not watched Beyond the Mat, um, you know, honestly, go do it. It's you're going to see kind of a look at how Jake the Snake used to be. You're going to get kind of some inside look at folks like Terry Funk. You'll um, lose a lot of respect for Mick Foley forever. Why? Wait, wait. Hang on. Why is that? Because he had his kids at ringside for when The Rock, like, walked oh, him yeah. 20 billion well, times. Well, that, it, it wasn't supposed to go that way. It was only supposed to be, like, two or three. Um, but we'll, we'll dig into that another I, time. I would say anyone that was a wrestling fan, like that was a teenager above in the Attitude Era, that that film was like a defining moment in your fandom if you remained a fan past that. Kind of a rite of passage. I think John Cena's in that too. 
Um, I don't. I know John Cena. Hang on, just a second. John Cena was in one. It was in a documentary about uh, up and coming people, but I don't think it was Beyond the Mat. Yeah, Beyond the Mat had think... Mike Modest in it. No, but I think. Yeah. I think. I think he might be in it in a, like a cameo because that um, promotion with Michael Modest is the place that produced John Cena. Yeah, I'm, I know what you're talking about. I'm not sure if it was that one or a different one because there is another. Um, there is another documentary out there that I can distinctly Discovery remember. Discovery Channel, the talk yeah, about that, that that focused upon. I remember uh, that one. It focused upon a worker who was in that, who I don't think ever like. It, if Cena's it, if Cena's in um, Beyond the Mat, he's not. He's just in the background. Like he's not like he doesn't. I don't think he says anything. I think he might just be like in a quick clip, but I don't know. Well. Let's go ahead and um, look. We, we do this every week because we enjoy doing it. We love bringing what we like to think is good quality con- content to you listeners out there. So we'd like to hear from you. And there's a variety of ways to do it. Um, guys, why don't, you, why don't you fill us in on those ways? Well, if you happen to be a Facebook user, um, you can look us up. It's Four Corners Podcast. That is the number four corners as one word podcast. Um Give us a like, leave us a comment. Uh, you know the drill by now. <laughs> yeah, uh, and if you like, uh, if you'd like to converse with us uh, with 140 characters or less, uh, you can go to Twitter. We are at Podcast Four Corners. That's the capital P in podcast, the number four in corners, all one word. At Podcast Four Corners, uh, and you can converse with us. And uh, we actually had some people chatting about our last show. Uh, at least one person chatted about our last show. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And I believe we're only blocked by Jim Ross on Twitter. Are we blocked by Jim Ross? I don't know. I just assumed. <laughs> or Jim Cornette, maybe. Does Jim Cornette use Twitter? Oh, yeah, he does. I have no idea. He should. Although I just imagine it, I imagine he would just be blocking everyone on Twitter because people would just be fighting with him. I imagine he blocks everyone or he just lets it all like go. He sounds like he's, he gets real. He's on Twitter, but I think he has someone else post the stuff for him. Yeah, I can't imagine him sitting there on his phone, like, typing stuff. I think we have an Instagram, too. We we do have an Instagram. Hang on a second. We have a, we have a crying uh, child. That's Four Corners Podcast. <laughs> I believe that's Four Corners Podcast is one word because they don't use spaces. Um... I don't do Instagram, so I don't know how that works, but yeah. So uh, Well, on our Instagram page, I know that uh, we're good about posting uh, the ep- every episode that we do every week, so okay, that gets cool. shared. Yeah, and um, I believe I believe we have a special someone to um, give a shout-out to as we approach the Valentine's Day season. Uh, yeah, uh, a shout-out to uh, Epico Cologne. Um I think we maybe will do another episode before uh, Valentine's Day, but uh, Epico Cologne, I know, is a man of extreme romance. <laughs> so he, I'm sure he, for whatever lovely lady he is with, he'll be buying her the most fantastic uh, Valentine's Day gift. Maybe it's something from Collar and Elbow. <laughs> We're like at a hot mess because uh, Shad usually does like the Collar and Elbow shout outs. Yeah. Uh, we have a collaboration with uh, Collar and Elbow. Uh, 
I yeah. don't. Okay, I, I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm trying to trying to juggle some hats tonight. Thank you for being so good about um, our our usual lead in stuff. Yeah, uh, we are a color pulling, elbow affiliate. Yeah, we are. We're pulling back the curtain a bit. Uh, Shad is trying to do uh, podcast duties and also be a good dad because uh, his youngest is a little bit under the weather. So he's trying to wear like five different hats and still put out quality content for you folks out there. Uh, it's just that I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, like, the promo code for I think our... the promo code Colin. is Four Corners Podcast. And you okay, get, cool. You get yeah, 10 Four Corners Podcast, you get 10% off. It's the number four. Corners and Podcast are both capitalized. And cool. uh, it's good quality stuff. Uh, Shad sent me one, and it is probably one of the most comfy shirts I own. Um, I'm going to be getting on there and buying another one at some point. Yeah, they have, like, the Tri... I think it's, like, the Tri-Blend Cotton... So it's like super soft. Yeah, because like sometimes, and, sometimes you get like those those shirts from someplace, and it's kind of like wearing abrasive wool, and it's not comfortable at all. It depends. Yeah, like I, I mean, I like, uh, I like shirts that are kind of like thicker, like the cotton. I need like a good cotton because sometimes you'll you'll buy like t-shirts from places, and the cotton isn't that great. Like I, there's a company out there that does a lot of t-shirts are one of the bigger companies i'm not going to name drop them because i don't want any bad blood <laughs> between us but they i don't think their cotton their their shirts are like the best quality they're kind of like really thin cotton but that's not what you're getting at color and color and it's actually uh it's actually good material yeah. and it's super comfortable so with that said um we kind of had to scramble a bit tonight because we had a cancellation and we didn't know if shad was going to be here to the last minute but we are bringing back a tried and true concept, one that I think we all enjoyed greatly. We are bringing back the bag of holding. So to explain to you uh, what the bag of holding is, it's essentially a dice bag that sits on my um, table. And inside of it, there is a number of topics. Most of these are, there's wrestling related stuff, some non-wrestling related stuff. They're mostly just smaller topics we couldn't do a whole podcast on. And some weeks it's just nice to throw some weird stuff out there and kind of riff on some things kind of off the cuff. Yeah, um, this we should also share uh, this is the last podcast we're doing wrestling related because we're changing format. We're yeah. going to all just to all talk about cigarettes yes. <laughs> starting our next podcast. Apparently, the, the brief like three minutes we talked about smoking uh Brad has shared that that got uh, actually some discussion out there in uh, on Reddit and other places. Yeah, <laughs> so apparently, like, uh, so apparently, smoking content is what you folks yes. want. So Psychoanalyzing <laughs> celebrities and their smoking habits. What? Wait, we were on Reddit? No, it was it was a different board. Or, okay, something. I, I maybe uh, she did it, guys. But that that that's kind of a bad callback. No, yeah. Um, don't don't call that back because uh, that was not good. <laughs> that was bad. Yeah, it was bad. People didn't learn, from, haven't learned from that one either. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what we're talking about, um, this has been what, like eight or nine years? No, it's not. It's been about eight years, probably. Uh, Reddit misidentified the wrong suspect in the Boston um, marathon bombing and caused a whole mess and. Someone was unnecessarily killed by the actual bombing suspects because, you know, a bunch of amateur sleuths fucked up. 
Okay, so you guys ready to dig into the bag of holding? Yeah, let's do a let's do a really deep dive. Yeah. Sorry if it's a little weird here because like Shad's on and off because he's dealing with small children, so He's there, he's just muting yeah. his microphone. Okay, so topic one for the evening. If I could actually unfold the paper. In the bag of holding. Okay, name an underrated tag team. Ooh, I have one I have one on my mind. Okay, why don't you go first? Because I've got to think. Okay. Uh, it, this is actually hilarious that this like came to mind immediately. Uh, I'm going to go late, kind of like around 2000 era. Uh, WCW, the last, like last year, the last dying gra- uh, gasps of WCW. Uh, the tag team of Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, they were two like really big dudes. Um, they're kind of brought in last year for people who aren't aware of the of that uh, that group. Actually, I, we want to do like a stable podcast at, at one point, just focusing on stables. I almost would talk about the Natural Born Thrillers. I almost feel like that's that that's be, one that that, be that people fascinating because there's a lot of guys from that stable that kind of got lost in the dustbin of history, like Mike Sanders and uh, Reno. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, people like Johnny the Bull, I think, still wrestle. Like twenty years later, he got the great Muda gimmick for a while. I think. <clears throat> yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. I think th- he, they were. Wow. I think you're right. Because he was in all Japan. Like, remember when uh, mid two thousands all Japan had that like weird like WWE cast off stable that was like Jamal. The Voodoo Murders. Yeah. It was, like no, the, it was the Voodoo yeah. Murders. I it, think they're all part of the Voodoo Murders. No, I think the Voodoo Murders was the counter stable. I don't remember what they were called though. Because it was like D'Lo oh. Brown, Jamal, um, it was Johnny the Bull, I think Rico Constantino was with them for a short time. Cause I think Oh, there's a I think that's I, a dude you haven't heard about in a yeah, long time. He had that hairdresser gimmick, didn't he? He had basically the gay gimmick. Jackie Gata, who had the best match of all time. Oh, God. Oh, here's another callback. Um, because we were talking about the natural born thrillers. Uh, Kiwi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kiwi. I remember Kiwi. I felt bad for Kiwi. Kiwi, actually, I don't think was a bad worker. But then they, gave, they tried to give him a gay gimmick. And then uh, I, it, it, he kind of got over, like, despite the fact... And then I think weren't they doing the whole? They he did some sort of like tag team with uh, Lenny Lane. Ugh, that's the same guy, right? I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. It might have been Lenny Lane. I don't remember that 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 whole era. I haven't watched it since it happened. <laughs> I, it's something I need to go back, especially like that three months it existed in 2001, where they kind of like turned the product around. That was crazy because they actually did. Uh, like every every pay per view, the last three pay per views WCW did, which was that January January through March of twenty eleven uh, two thousand one. Sorry, uh, they were good. They actually had good matches. It would, overall, it was like pretty entertaining, and yeah. they were kind of riding the ship. And then of course they got bought for like nothing basically. Yeah, I agree with so that. yeah, uh, so yeah, uh, Jindrak and O'Hare. I think they had the championships a couple times. Oh, wow. I'm looking it up online. They had... Yeah, because they came into WWE with the belts. 
Oh yeah, they had. They, it looks like they had the, no, the world I, tag. No, I lied. That, that was uh, O'Hare and Palumbo. Mm, yeah, uh, they had O'Hare and Jindrak specifically had the the belts twice. Uh, they're pretty good actually, and I like she. I like Sean O'Hare a lot. I thought he had a lot of. I thought he was like interesting. They were actually if they had, WCW had <laughs> survived, like Bischoff wanted to push him like as a main event guy. Uh. I mean, I don't know how. Who knows how that would have worked? Um, I don't think he was the worst talker. And they they brought him into they brought him into WWE. It just didn't uh, work out. It didn't work out. They actually paired him briefly with uh, it was Piper. Yeah. And then they did they did like nothing with him. I think they pushed him for like two three months, and then that was it. And then he was on like Sunday Night Heat or whatever. Yeah. Like secondary show they ha- would have. And he would just be basically in like jobber matches. Uh, ironically, though, he he'd be winning the jobber matches, but that didn't last long either. Yeah. And then he, I think he tried. I know way more about the life of Sean, of Sean O'Hare than I actually thought I did. I think he tried to do mixed martial arts. Yeah, he did. I think he did. I think he fought like once or twice, maybe. Yeah, and then I guess he had his demons. Uh, died pretty fairly young. Oh, I'm looking it up. He died. Wow, 2004. That's not that long ago. 2004. That's he died in 2004. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm. I don't know what's wrong with me? And, like, yeah, I can't say dates today. Uh, 2014. That's not that long ago. I um, the thing that always struck me odd about Sean O'Hare's big WWE run was that in the uh, they had him set up doing like the the. Um, what do you call it? The devil's in the details gimmick or something like that? Devil's, he was like the devil's advocate. Devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. Oh, and yeah. It was all based on, on his promos that he did such a good job with. And then they paired him with Roddy Piper as his manager to shore up the place, shore up what they were selling him on. Like he, they were selling him by his promo ability. And then they put Roddy with him. And I was still, I was so confused. Yeah. That's when they were. That's when they would really like bring legends in and interject them like oddly into everything. So, Brad, what was your uh, underrated tag team? Um, I don't know if they count because I mean they got pushed. I don't think they get quite the credit as workers as they deserve. But I'm going to go with Demolition, the Axe and Smash version. Wow. Because I feel like if you go back and watch them, I think um. I think they were a pretty good working team. Like, probably, like, overall didn't have the aura of, like, the Road Warriors, but probably were better in-ring and um, didn't quite get the... still quite don't get the credit they deserve, and I feel like they've kind of been lost to history a little bit. Um, And then I have a secondary pick, which would be Kurt Henning and Barry Windham for the short time they were together in WCW. (laughs) Oh, the West Texas Rednecks. The West Texas Rednecks, yeah. Actually, they were together pre that, too, because they had the tag titles for, like, a very short while. Yeah, they won the um, the WCW tag title tournament against Benoit Malenko, I think. Yeah, they did. And uh, I remember that very well, because that was, uh, said the, the final was a two out of three fall match. No, it, it was not two out of three falls. It had been a double elimination tournament. And Benoit Malenko had lost once, 
Oh, that's in Barry Windham didn't, so they had to beat them twice to win the belts. That's right. Okay, you're absolutely right. And then the interesting thing was that they, uh, if 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 Benoit Malenko won, they got what like a three minute break between matches. I think so. Yeah. So Barry Windham, being the heel that he is, whipped his belt off, looped it around Malenko's throat, tightened it up, and then threw a chin lock on him and got him to tap out as soon as the the opening bell rung for the second bout. Yeah, I, I enjoyed their team. They weren't together very long, but I think Henning was having trouble um, staying healthy at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, 99 is very interesting because Wyndham, Wyndham had like a brief resurgence as like a good worker that year. So uh, those would be my two picks. Uh, what are you, Do you guys have thoughts on either team? Um, I think that you're right that, that Action Smash, like, they got credit at the time for being good, but whenever you start talking about all-time great tag teams, they just don't pop up like other people like, you know, the Steiners or Harlem Heat or um, Arn and Tully and stuff like that. I mean, people talk, people think, I think, from that era, like the late 80s, probably think more like Heart Foundation. Uh, if you're t- if we're bringing in, like, the NWA, of course, they, they think about, like, the road warriors or midnight express rock and roll express but yeah uh when i was i mean i think for people like our age like who i mean we're kind of we were alive in the 80s like i don't we were pretty young so i don't know how like much we actually watched during the 80s most of the stuff that i watched was like early to mid 90s when i would just basically watch all the old uh titan videos that you could get at the yeah the video store yeah, no, uh, so I'd watch this like Coliseum. Col- oh, no, it was Coliseum. You're right. Um, and, but I, I actually really dug uh, Demolition. I thought, to me, as a kid or as a younger person, like who became was like getting into wrestling and kind of infatuated with wrestling. To me, they they were believable. They were like these two big dudes who just would go in there and beat the hell out of other people. Uh, and they, I mean, they were booked very strong. Yeah. Uh, like mid to late eighties. And then in the early nineties, they were, you know, they were kind of transitioning them out, but yeah. Cause X got X got ill, I think. And then they transitioned mm-hmm. crushing and it kind of fell apart. Yeah. The, I think that they kind of, they suffer in the face of their contemporaries. Like you said, with, with all the other good teams that were around in the time, you can, you can kind of lose them in the midst of that forest. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I've got, I've got two underrated oddball picks for you, and my I've got a I've got a pick and I've got an honorable mention. So I'll do my honorable mention first. We're trying to build the tension here, right? Uh, <laughs> my honorable mention is going to be um, James Vandenberg's own Wrath and Mortis tag team. Oh, oh wow, yeah. Thing. They had. It was it was really the longest lasting part of that whole pseudo Mortal Kombat gimmick they had going on, and yet those two guys were good enough that they they put on good stuff with um, you know with the tag teams of that era. You just didn't see them much. I remember uh, a match on Nitro that was Wrath and Mortis versus the Outsiders, and so you had you had Hall and and Canyon. Uh, Mortis at the time start things out and then Nash and Wrath tagged in and I remember 
I, I think it was Shivani saying, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys that can look Kevin Nash in the eye, but Wrath is staring him right in the eye and not backing down. And I, I looked at him, and you know, Nash Nash was never a small guy, but so much, uh, you know, like his frame wasn't huge. It was it was toned and defined, but it wasn't huge. And then you had Wrath in front of him, who wasn't as tall, but was looked like he was like 125 percent of the width. And I was just thinking, oh, man, this could be really... After that one match, you know, nothing else ever came of it. I think we've actually talked about that match on the podcast before. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good match, and I actually probably should try and hunt that down and watch it again. Because I I actually... I, I really dug... The, the Mortis and Wrath. I mean, that's that whole like Blood Runs Cold thing, <laughs> which we've also talked about before in the podcast. It was kind of silly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, during that era, Mortal Kombat was so huge that I almost don't blame them for trying to don't, don't you do some weird analog. Used to have it on after, they used to have it on after Nitro, and um, they'd have WCW oh. people do. Uh, yeah, there was like a like a one season short lived Mortal Kombat live action series. Yeah, I actually wow. think I have that. I think I have that on like bootleg DVD somewhere. I don't remember that at all. I, wow. I do have to say, my my one thing here is James Vandenberg is probably my least favorite uh, James Mitchell character of all time. I, mean, mm-hmm. I can see that. But he yeah he does like he it's in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but he has one of my favorite promos ever, and I'll have to track it down and play it for you guys once, but. He refers to um, the dirty white girl as that parking lot philatrix. Wow. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it's, uh, it's Bob Cottle standing there looking horrified at the things coming out of his mouth <laughs> at the time. Yeah, Vandenberg was, was he didn't, it's, it's, this is so weird to say, he didn't add a whole lot to that team, but he fit. He was really handcuffed, though, because he was, where he's good is kind of like being able to riff and, like, go out into, like, crazy town, which they didn't yeah. really let him do. Not really, but, okay, so my actual pick for underrated tag team uh, actually comes out of the same era and it's going to be the Faces of Fear, um, Ming and the Barbarian. They had a great, um, it's not their WCW run, but their opening match with the Rockers at WrestleMania 7 is an underrated, like, great match. Yeah. You could tell those guys walking out. It, you know, we hear all the stories about Ming or Haku, whichever term, and then you hear some stories about the Barbarian. Even, like, you know, Manny Fernandez, who might be an odd source for some stuff, you know, he does the same thing as everybody else when it comes to Ming. He's just like, nope, nope, nope. But when it comes to the Barbarian, he gives him a load of credit as well. So, you know, just those two guys. I, 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 God, I wanted to see more out of them, you know? I feel like they probably should have done a lot more with them, given, like, how tough those two dudes were. But I think they came around at the wrong time, maybe. Yeah, like, they kind of did stuff with Ming off and on. Like, I mean, he had that really good match with uh, Sting in 95. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, Ming kept his credibility all the way through the late 90s. I mean, you always, they gave him enough wins and made him look dangerous. And there was that, I think he had in 99, right when Vince Russo took over, he had, like, back-to-back victories over Sting and Lex Luger. 
that they probably oh. did nothing with. Right, right. Can't be doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, There, and we've talked about it. There's a million fun stories about Haku, but I think my favorite was they they were when DX did their invasion, they thought about sending Shamrock and Blackman with them just to like back them up and decided not to, but their instructions were if the door opens and Ming comes walking out, you guys just run. So That's funny. Alright, Brad, what's next in the uh, bag of holding? Let's see. Well, this is kind of a different one. Who do you think is the most overrated wrestler? I guess that could be historical or current, whichever way you want to take it. Ooh, this is a tough one. Yeah, because um, there's so many ways you can go with that. Um, I'll go with I'll go with current. I think Will Osprey is horribly overrated by Dave Meltzer and his ilk. Like, there's not a lot that I think Dave Meltzer kind of goes <coughs> way off the reservation as far as like what I think is reasonable opinion. But his Osprey love like just confounds me. Uh, so I don't think in general, uh, Osprey's well, he's gotten better. I will give him that much credit. Like <coughs> last year he got, he went from being like a spot monkey to someone that actually like understands the concept of selling and storytelling. So yeah, I'll give him that, that credit. This is a tough question because like over he's, I think he's a good worker. Um, I think he, he is a bit of a spot monkey. I hate using that term because it's been used a lot of, as a pejorative kind of by people in the past. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he obviously does a lot of flashy stuff. Um, I think he overall is a good worker. I think you're right. He is improving. He's a little better with trying to uh, kind of tell a story in the ring, work on the psychology, things like that. Right. Uh, I, it, my problem is like he is overrated, but he's not overrated in the sense it's like, He's actually not that great, but people hype him up. Like, I think he is good. He's obviously not. He's not, he's not like elite level. And I think he was starting to get that kind of hype when he was still like, he wasn't very good at that point. Like, I he's not he's... elite. Yeah. He's not elite level. I don't, I mean, I guess I think time will tell to see if he ever yeah. will be. Uh, the problem that he is overrated because the people who are fans of him take it to like this extreme level. Yeah. Now, because I have, I, I've actually seen on Twitter. I've seen Dave Meltzer actually make the argument that modern day, like today, current level, Will Ospreay is better, excuse me, he's better than basically any version of Shawn Michaels, which is nah. absolutely insane. I think, and I've seen him make that argument. That's I not think, something that I'm making up. He ma He's made that argument on Twitter. Now, I, I do think Shawn Michaels is kind of overrated, especially by people that weren't around in the era, but I would not think Will Ospreay is... Um, is better than him at any point. I, I, until he actually like kind of like formally retired, not counting this whole Saudi Arabia match he did. Uh, but I actually feel that the Shawn Michaels, as he was when he came back after the years taking off for the back injury was better than basically the first part of his career. I think he was, um, I think he was really good when he had the back injury and he was doing the DX stuff and he really had to like think about what he was doing. Mm -hmm. But if you go back to like the rockers, like when they first split up, he was terrible as a singles and Marty Jannetty was better as a worker than him. 
I think overall he's a he's a really good he's 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 a great worker. I think at times he he was elite. Like there are some matches he's yeah. done which are some of the best matches um, in basically WWE history. I think he but got I, screwed up like early with mm-hmm. his comeback because he got stuck with Triple H, and those matches were like not very good. Mm-hmm. But I think like his Taker match was really good. There was um that match with Shelton Benjamin where like. Benjamin like springboarded right into a the sweet chin music that was like really great, mm-hmm. and I think I am uh, I'm of the opinion that that match with Michaels could have been the springboard that made Shelton a superstar, and they passed on it, and his momentum kind of died from there. Yeah, I agree with that. They had something with Shelton for a while, and they passed up on it, and then um, I actually forgot he was still on the roster. Until he popped up in the Rumble. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, he's still a thing. Now, if I really wanted to, if I really wanted to throw a grenade at the internet, I would, <laughs> I would use a uh, Marty Scroll because if you want to talk about someone that's not good. It's Marty Scroll. Uh, I like, I, I like Marty Scroll. I think he is good, but the the problem with him is that it's he gimmicks he's, everything. Yeah, it's people got hyped for the gimmicks, and then now he makes sure to get the gimmicks in. And he, which I think the the gimmicks are fine, but not every match. Like if you're going to do them every now and again uh, for the crowd pop or what have you, but I I don't need to see the like the finger break spot every match. Like it takes away from it. And he's terrible about like he calls his spots like all the time, like before he does them. And it drives me up the wall. Like, you can't do, like, two moves concurrently without stopping. And, like, it just, he just drives me nuts sometimes. Like, he can have good matches, but, like, he gets way too far up his own ass, like, with his act sometimes. Uh, I can see the criticism. I do like him, though. Uh, mine, uh, this might be, like, a bit of a grenade. And it's, it's basically, to me, personal preference. Uh, I kind of feel the same way about this guy that you do about Will Ospreay is that I actually think I think Ricochet is way overrated I'm not saying he's bad I'm not saying he doesn't put on great matches I'm just saying that people like Meltzer who clearly it's almost like I I really like Meltzer I've met him a few times he's a super nice guy but Meltzer it's almost like you see you have like a buddy and the buddy is like a serial dater or something but he keeps dating the same type of girl like that's Meltzer that's Meltzer with like the wrestlers he likes like he likes almost like a type and Ricochet Will Ospreay it's like they're they might as well be kind of the same guy uh they're not really of course like people could debate exactly why they're different um I'm not here for that it doesn't matter to me uh I just think ricochet is he's a good worker I, I i don't take anything away from that he's a good worker um he puts on good matches maybe even great matches but i kind of like every match i see from him sometimes he'll do things that it's kind of like the marty scroll thing like he'll like pose for like 10 seconds before he does a move and it's like okay can you uh, that that really actually takes me out of the match when you're just doing poses yeah and, so, and sometimes with uh, him, he's mm-hmm. guilty of what Will Osprey's guilty of is like, you don't have to fucking like throw a flip or like some variation into every move. Sometimes just do a goddamn body slam. You don't have to like, you know, yeah, f- do a handstand like break dance after you like body slam to the mat. You know, it just yeah. That again, that's what I'm talking about. That's what kind of takes me out. 
uh, and so I don't get emotionally invested in his matches because I'm just like too annoyed. It's like we, I fully accept and appreciate that he is a tremendous athlete. Uh, like gymnastically, he does things that I could never even hope to do. Like he does flips and and everything that. How the hell do you do that? I can barely get vertical, like two feet me, <laughs> maybe yeah. if I really like take a jump. But he he's amazing. But when he does all this little stuff and everything like that, it kind of takes me out of it. And then I, I feel like the people who are fans of his do kind of hype it up. Like I I was looking through I think the latest Observer and Meltzer I believe gave the match he had with at Takeover uh, a week ago. He gave it I think like four and three four stars or something like that i haven't seen it unfortunately i haven't seen it either and it's like it, i'm sure it's a great match but I, I mean johnny gargano is is one of the best people in the entire company right now yeah and i'm sure it's a great match but is it like is it really almost a five-star match or did you just throw that up there because you know Meltzer's a Ricochet fan and a Gargano fan. I feel like there's been something lacking in Ricochet's NXT run to this point. Like, I think his best match is obviously the Velveteen Dream one. And this is with saying I haven't seen the Gargano match, but Mm -hmm. I haven't enjoyed his um, NXT run minus that Velveteen match, which was great. But um, I like him. I liked him in PWG, but like, he like, there's just something missing in his, like he has charisma, but like, I don't know, his persona- personality doesn't always shine through, especially like in that WWE environment. <laughs> yeah. And again, I um, think this is... this is. Oh, I'm sorry to... Go ahead, Chad. I, I was going to say, I like Ricochet a lot. He does uh, some very fun things because to use, to, I guess to use um, <laughs> internet wrestling community language, he does really good with the fast-paced matches with a bunch of flippy shit in them. Um... I like Ricochet, but I saw someone on Reddit give a great example on what I think keeps him from being like really great. Is Ricochet is really good, right? He I, obviously he's really good. You guys are saying the stuff he can do is amazing, but you don't get the sense sometimes that he's having to try real hard to do it. Like everything comes so easily for him that. You know, you would expect, kind of like a rubber ball, if you knock him down, you would expect for him to get back to his feet with a flip in it or something. You know, it not they, when he goes to do the big spot, it's like he sells, he sells, he sells. But then when it's time to do the spot, it seems like it's no effort for him to do it. Yeah, I get that. I, I, I agree with that. And so I, I like him, but you see that happen, and it's just kind of this little bite that happens in there. Um. So yeah, that's that's. <clears throat> I, I will I will defend Ricochet because I think he's fun to watch, but that that does um, that does kind of pluck at my nerve a little bit. I I will say I will say in his defense, and what sets him apart from just being from like a lot of guys with that style is he does understand like when he needs to slow it down a bit and like. Mm-hmm. That he does have that ability and knows like when he needs to like keep it in his pants, so to st- so to say. Okay, hold back. His psychology's gotten a bit better. Yeah, you know, he knows when to. He's getting better about knowing when to hold it back, as opposed to just always kicking it in like a crazy person. Yeah, but okay. I think that's I think that's a good pick, and that would be a contentious. That'd be a good contentious pick. Uh, on the internet. Yeah. 
I mean, because again, it, it's almost unfair though, because it's like, is is he good? He is. Is he great? Maybe. But the people who are his fans kind of hype him up to be really like, like top, top in the world, and I, I just, I don't get it. I don't really quite see it now. But if you listen to someone like Meltzer, he thinks that if they bring Ricochet up, he could be one of the absolutely top people, and like he probably could if they booked him well. But I actually think that. If they don't screw him up, someone like Velvetine Dream has like way more upside. Because I think I, I agree I th- with that. I think Dream is like incredibly talented. Like he's a guy that I really am nervous about what they would do with him when he comes up to the main roster. But if they kind of let him do his thing, like I think he could really. And he's obviously young, so he has a yeah. lot of. I think growth, I but think he, he could be like a huge talent for them. I think the difference between Ricochet and Velveteen, though is. I think Velveteen could show no signs of improvement in the ring and be fine because he has, like, otherworldly charisma to him. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he's just that kind of guy you, like, when he's, like, when he comes up, you should just be like, you know what, like, just just go do what you're going to do. I actually feel he's gotten better in the ring. Oh, he has. He he can have good matches, but, like, I don't think he's that kind of guy that's, I think he's going to be that kind of guy that's always going to have good matches with good workers and bad mm-hmm. matches with bad workers. But I think Possibly. like but I think like he has like those other tools that's always going to cover for that. Yeah. Uh, I was watching I was watching the halftime heat because that was the most exciting thing to happen on Super Bowl Sunday. And um that's true. <laughs> And that's actually accurate. Yeah, I, they did the. They were doing the three v three, and they do the spot where all three of the baby faces do their their fake out and they hit their pose. So Alistair Black's sitting there cross legged, and Ricochet's in like the three point superhero landing, and Velveteen Dreams doing his pose, and then it cuts to the three guys on the outside, and the thought struck me: Oh my God, if these guys get, guys get called up to the main roster, I'm sure they're going to be ruined. Because creative's not going to know what to do with them. Creative has incredibly talented people on the roster right now who aren't on TV because they don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And so they just sit around. We've mentioned this before, but Sanity was has been called up for like months, and it's like, what are they even doing with them? Yeah, like, I, doing I don't stuff with Nikki Cross, but Killian yeah, Dane's been sitting at home for weeks. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't watch uh, the, the WWE. Uh, Raw and SmackDown on to watch the the live TV uh, exactly every week, but I do follow the like, at least the write ups, the summaries to see what happened, and I don't see I don't see Sanity talked about anywhere. No, no, and and um, well, yeah, we 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 talked about that a lot. Uh, for overrated, the only things I can come up with on overrated are going to be things that I think you guys would agree with, but. If you talk to other people out there who are not the jaded internet marks like, you know, a lot of people are familiar with, that that, that folks still are like, ah, that guy's, that guy's good stuff right there. Um, I'll just put them both at Orton and Nash. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, 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 I don't think that they have been good enough to to... Um, get the accolades they've gotten. Let me put it that way. I actually feel like Nash is kind of underrated because he had um, he doesn't get credit for those couple of years where he was actually like pretty solid in WWE. 
Yeah, the low drawing years. Yeah, like because I mean his in ring, like if you look at his title reign, he had good matches, but then they like where that reign really falls apart is when he starts having to like work with like Mabel and Sid and um, I mean. Well, I was gonna say he had good matches. But who is he having those good matches with? Oh, Bret Hart and Sean, like, but I mean... Yeah, they could have a good match with the couch. But, it, so, but I mean, if you go I back mean, the, and watch The that, sharpshooter would be kind of hard to put on a couch, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're... Yeah, but I mean, if you go back and watch that, um, his Rumble match with Hart, like, you'd, you'd kind of, like, you have to, like, have some amount of skill to be able to um, hold up your end of the bargain there. I think that Nash found his place in the outsiders. I think Nash is an excellent tag guy. That's the thing that, that I would agree with. <coughs> I gotta say, he's an excellent tag guy. Um, God, it just doesn't, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like it, it really worked as a singles thing, at least not for me. And then we have, we have well chronicled, um, issues that, that we we've had with with watching orton um I, I came across something the other day that even made the point more firmly for me is because they had this there's this one episode of smackdown where apparently the writers are wanting him to act quote more like a baby face and so he does this jumping arm spinning thing before he hits the rko on like mark henry to quote unquote prove the point that him being a baby face doesn't work so they left him alone. And to me, that seems, God, that just seems like such an entitled, pissy way to try and, and disagree is to say, I'll do what you want to, but I'm going to do it in such a way that makes everybody in lo- involved look bad. As opposed to, you know, because that's not like, there is no baby face that would jump in one place and kick his feet up to shoulder length and windmill his arms like that before doing a big move. Nobody does that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a crappy argument. And, and yet that was, that's like the example of Randy Orton being like, yeah, don't ask me to be a baby face because it's going to look stupid because it'll look like this. It's like, really, really, you're going to be that kind of little piss ant about it. I, I've always said that, um, the, the, out of nowhere memes are more interesting than anything he ever did in his career. <laughs> I don't know if, if, if Matt, Matt, what do you think about those, those two? So Nash is kind of an interesting one to me. I, I feel like I lean more towards Brad where <clears throat> he's, he actually, he's not great, but I think he could be carried by a good worker and, but carry in a way where it's like he he is holding up his end of the bargain. Uh, I th- think he was best in the Outsiders. I think like that the NWO was amazing. Like for the at least for like the, for the first year before they started diluting it insanely. But uh, I don't know. It's tough because he. I don't think he was a great worker. His run at the top in before the WWE, the WWF was really bad. Like the matches, his matches weren't bad, but like he, he was kind of like a failure in terms of drawing, but he, he's an interesting one. I think he's charismatic. I think he can be carried. Um, he's not like an all time great. No. They tried to, they tried to push him. The nineties were a weird time because basically, basically until like Austin rock took off, 
uh, they they tried to do a lot of guys, and they had some success with Hart and, and Michaels, but neither guy outside of them, the, like people like Luger, they tried to push as like the next Hogan. They tried to push Nash as like the next Hogan, and it just didn't work. They had a little there success been... with Backlund at, at the top. And what happened? Nash kicked him in the gut and power bombed him in three seconds or five seconds or something. I really liked heel Backlund when he was crazy, but that's me. Yeah. So yeah, I also have great. a I also have a huge soft spot for uh, Doink the Clown, the original Doink the Clown, when he was evil. Oh, he was oh. the best. Like when when he faked out Crush <laughs> with the broken arm and like pulled the fake arm off and beat him with it. That's the best. Didn't yeah. he didn't he hit him with a car battery once or something? I believe so. Which which to me was just an amazing idea for a weapon. If you go back and watch like 1993 TV, like Doink is probably like the fourth best worker on the roster. Like they do this um, series with him and Kurt Henning, like trying to qualify for the King of the Ring. And these are TV matches. They have three, like three in like a month period, like really good TV matches with each other. And, um, you know, you didn't really get that at the time. Yeah. So here's the other thing that, and this is probably what sours me on Nash a bit is I have, uh, I have this odd tendency that if I have time and I'm sitting around, I'm probably going to listen to shoot interview stuff. Um, I don't know why I just do. And what I, it seems to me what I've discovered is that Kevin Nash is a great source for information as long as the story doesn't involve how cool he is. Yeah. He's anything else he'll do okay with. But the problem is if the story involves Kevin Nash doing something cool and or badass, there is no way I can believe it. So he's also like when it doesn't involve him, he's also really like he's oddly like more fair to people than a lot of wrestlers are when it comes to like talking about like um, why a guy didn't work or, you know, problems and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's I I agree with that. Absolutely. Um, That's so weird, isn't it? Is that, you know, he does such a good job with that until he himself gets involved. (laughs) Yeah, I actually feel like that's true. He uh, he was obviously like a huge like political person back in the day. But yeah, uh, in retrospect, when he does shoot interviews and he talks about guys like he doesn't usually like bury people. He he's he actually does seem to be kind of diplomatic or fair. Yeah, and um, uh, it, it just most of the stories that I hear him do on, on shoot interviews are just how about him and the click were just getting like just completely wrecked on drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think um, there's an interesting one on YouTube. Look up him talking about booking like WCW and the insanity that was. Oh yeah, I've he, seen that. That's crazy. Because like, I, I'm probably gonna tell us wrong, but they had to like. The way Thunder fell, you had to, like, book two Thunders, like, out. And if a guy got hurt, it, like, fucked up, like, three shows in advance or something. Like, he was, like, breaking down, like, the booking. And you're just sitting there, like, oh, my gosh. Like, how did you not kill yourself? This is, like, insane, like, how they set this up. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching it thinking to myself, well, then why don't we just make it a, like, minimum consequence show, like, Saturday night or something. Yeah. Don't do the big angle stuff on it, but... They had they were supposed to do the big angle stuff on it, so who am I to say? Like if you really want to, like to compare him to someone, like if you listen to like Eric Bischoff, 
like I always feel like Eric Bischoff's lying to me. And like no matter what. Oh yeah, what, I think he's he's working an angle. Yeah, and Nash like you can tell like when Nash is bullshitting because I think he's I think Nash would even probably tell you like you shouldn't listen to me talk about myself. Like I think he's typically like 90% honest. You can tell when he's stalling for time yeah. on a story cuz he'll he'll kind of like screw around in order to buy some time while he's thinking but the you brought that up you brought we since we brought shoot interviews up so i saw a transcript the other day someone asked vince russo a bunch of questions about why he made the decisions he made and i i read this and i was ready to pull my hair out just reading this because it makes all of a sudden a whole bunch of stuff makes sense if you see why he's doing it that way because his whole idea is i'm trying to catch the people that are flipping channels he's not catering to actual fans he's just trying to get people to stop and watch spectacle and it's like well okay i guess you can get that to happen by doing this stuff but why would they keep watching and he's like oh bro you know they just keep watching bro you know that's just what they do bro was he like what you gay bro because that's that's his that's his favorite go-to is like the homophobia is I I I after a certain I tried to just block it out. I can't I I, 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 can't I medically it. can't drink, so I can't drink to forget. But I've been hitting the head enough that I might be able to forget on my own. I don't understand why people like on both sides like why they pay attention to him because like there's nothing like of value to glean from anything he says. I'll I'll admit I I, I read it because I was thinking about what a glorious dumpster fire it could be. I didn't think it's, it's like the same people that listen to like Bruce Pritchard talk. Like I can't stand listening to Bruce Pritchard. Like he has some useful insights, but he water carries so much for like everything Vince does. And he's such like a fucking, like he's always like, thinks he's pulling one over on you. It's just like, I just don't care, dude. Yeah. People, people on social media give Dave Meltzer a lot of crap. And again, like we, we kind of even touched upon earlier in this podcast, how Dave has his biases, but Dave has always been critical of like Russo and Bischoff and uh, Bruce Pritchard with their podcast being basically saying like, you're getting worked. Like this is like these, these people like will give you, they'll tell you stories about what happened back in the day, but it's, it's not necessarily the true story. And I actually believe that. I mean, I think they're, they're presenting it in in lights that's either most favorable to them if you're talking about Russo or Bischoff, or you're they're giving you like a bunch of of bullshit that that's someone like Pritchard, like Pritchard, like I wouldn't trust anything he says no. per se. Yeah. Okay. Next. Well, from- yes. What what's next in the? Uh, okay. I, hold it. Oh, go ahead. Before we do that, can I can I play this? Play it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. It's coming. It's coming. Oh wait, maybe it's no. That's that's. Is this is this the heel one where it's like it takes? I don't that, know. Like, that's the heel one. It's supposed to go into that dark stuff, is what I was yeah, waiting like, on. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was we funny. got we got the entrance of the gladiators. Yeah, uh, that way. So, like the heel, okay. Yeah, like the heel doink, like his that music would go into like a darker. It would be doing that, and then all of a sudden you go done, done, hold on, done. Hold on. Yeah. yeah, there we go. And then he would just like frown and yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Bank was awesome. Matt Bourne, okay. Matt Bourne is an underrated, underrated dude. I think I think Matt Bourne suffered from the the ball got rolling and then he would derail himself. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, we're just okay. We're we're getting all wrestling tonight. Name a we are. Name a good manager that isn't Jim Cornette or Bobby Heenan. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Uh, Matt, why don't you lead us off? Uh, I'm not going to say Paul Jones, the Paul Jones army. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to maybe go Gary Hart back in the day. I thought Gary Hart wasn't bad. Yeah, I, I would. Um, he had his ups and downs, but I think he was. I think he was overall a good choice. That's kind of going. It's kind of going old school. Uh, who were the people he he managed? Uh, he had Great Muda. Mm-hmm. He had. Um, I remember that. Larry, like late nineties. He had Larry yeah. Zabisco and Al Perez. I think he had he had Terry Funk for a while. Yeah. Uh, I think he had like Dick Slater. Uh, he bounced around he like, had, between he had like between Georgia World Class. I think he had Bob Wharton Jr. for a while. Oh, he had Kabuki, obviously. Oh yeah, he did. He and Kabuki went everywhere because I think I think he had them. I think he managed Kabuki in Mid South and in World Class. Yeah. Uh, if I actually wanted to go old school too, too, like I could have picked someone like Skandor Akbar. I, you know, Skandor doesn't do a lot for me. Yeah, I actually didn't like him either. But he was always hanging around. Like for he, he was, he was there. Like I feel either in world class or or mid south for like for years upon years. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Oh, okay. I have one. This is actually a sad one. Uh, from more modern era. Given how the circumstances of his life turned out, but going, I thought, are we going sweet and sour with this one? Yeah, oh, Larry yeah. Sweeney. Larry Sweeney was incredibly talented. For people who don't know, um, Larry Sweeney was in Chikara. He was in Ring of Honor. He was a wrestler, and he also did a man- played a part as a manager. And uh, he was actually very good at both. Uh, great talker. He unfortunately he had his demons, and not just it wasn't. I don't know if he had any drug and alcohol issues, but he certainly had issues with he, uh, depression. I think he was, was he bipolar? I believe he was documented as having bipolar disorder. And unfortunately that ultimately is what kind of, it led him to take his own life. He, he couldn't, he couldn't overcome uh, the kind of issues that he had, but he was a tremendously talented person. Uh, it, I mean, now like the current era they kind of have get, been getting more into like managers or things like that. He's a guy who, if he had survived, like seeing him in this era where where wrestling's hot again, yeah, like he would have been he would have been tremendous. But uh, he was a guy who could have been probably like the second coming of of Bobby Heenan. I know that's like really kind of selling him hard, but he was to me like very extraordinarily talented. He was kind of like one of those once in a wrestling generation type of talents where he could, he was just so good on the mic. He actually had a lot of charisma. Uh, he would have been uh, tremendous. I would have loved to have seen him in kind of uh, modern era, but yeah. unfortunately we'll never will. A, yeah. A couple, a couple of things about him. Um, long standing feud with Brian Alvarez. 
like in ring <laughs> over the Texas. I haven't arc- seen any of those. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those matches, but I've heard about them. I one of them was in Chikara, actually. Oh yeah, I, I think so. I'll have to look it up. Um, and then uh, my favorite Larry Sweeney moment was I think King of Trios. Um, it's probably two thousand and seven. They had um, demolition and the one man gang, and he challenged um, one man gang to a dance off, and he had them oh, yeah. play like the Akeem music. The dive soul bro. Yeah. Or. That was actually Slick's music, but and some guy was cosplaying as Akeem, so like one man gang grabbed his hat and started doing like the Akeem dance, like as a response. That's amazing. It's on YouTube, wow. I think. That's okay. Brad, who um, who is your manager pick on this? Um, I'm gonna go very old school because I watched a couple years ago. I got a comp on like it was like a contextual look at um the WWF from like 1978 to like right before Hogan won the belt. So it was like the main matches, like the feuds, like some TV stuff. So, um, the way the WWF worked kind of before Hogan got there, kind of when he got there is the heels were very fluid and didn't stay very long. They usually came in, got jobbed out. So the main, they were called pretty much the three wise men. So the main, the main heels that always stay in the promotion were, Captain Lou Albano, Classy Freddy Blassie, and the Grand Wizard. And um, if you've ever watched them, like, it's interesting because the types of wrestlers they took on were always the same. Like, the Grand Wizard always took on, like, the main event guys. Classy Freddy Blassie always had, like, the foreigners and, like, the the more, like, oddballs. And then Captain Lou Albano had the tag teams. Mm-hmm. But all three of them mm-hmm. were, like, very compelling um heels like especially i liked freddie blassie a lot and um captain lou okay i follow that was this just name managers or to see if we could or what i'm 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 sorry i know i'm derailing but my wheels are turning Uh, i think i because i think um i think why i did this question is usually when people talk about like managers it's always jim Cornette or bobby heenan so i thought it would be oh, fun okay. to kind of just talk about someone that wasn't okay wasn't like heenan or Cornette. all right cool um were you done brad i don't i don't mean to step on your stuff uh no those are those are the primary three I, that came into my head immediately um i know most people probably haven't seen the grand wizard because he died um probably i don't remember when he died but he died pretty early comparatively to like our lives okay all right so i'm gonna assume you guys had already said jimmy hart and he doesn't really need uh an introduction we did not you guys missed on jimmy hart no jimmy hart that's a good one he came into my head but i wanted i i was gonna go i went away from him all right so Fun back, or funny story on this. There's an inside joke between my brother and I. And we'll leave this on each other's voicemails just to try and crack each other up. For the young folks out there, voicemail is a tool whenever you call somebody and you leave a talkie message behind. <laughs> but, um, sorry, bad attempt at a joke. Uh, there was a promo they were talking to Ming, and Ming would, at the time was ripping through everybody. And they're like, Ming, what are you looking for? And he shoves Gene Okerlund out of the shot. And at the time, the only assumption you could have, knowing who Ming was, is that Gene Okerlund died in that moment. 
he points at the camera and starts shouting, Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart. So every now and then I'll be like, you have a voicemail. Oh, what's this voicemail? Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart, which really brightens up my day. Uh, but the other one that I was going to pick, I was going to kind of deviate because in my head, there's a difference between a manager and a valet. A manager is actively involved. A valet is more an accompanist, accompanist, I guess, might be the best way to put it, as opposed to someone who's got a, a more active role in the match, right? So I was going to say Tammy Sitch. Oh, she's great. Like um, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Tammy Sitch is amazing. Mm-hmm. And she would actually be a manager in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yep. She did that in ECW too, didn't she? Yeah, she did. But if you look up it's a little bit, yeah. On YouTube, if you look at Brian Lee and Chris Candido trying to train her to fight the dirty white girl, it's hilarious. Like, <laughs> like it's like her sitting on like Brian Lee's back while he does like sit ups, and there's one where like they're jogging and she's driving the car. Like it's hilarious. I bet it is. Um, yeah, that's. I think she was a great manager. You know, and but she went through a long stretch where she didn't manage much. You know, like the most managing she did was like Legion of Doom 2000 for a couple of guys who, you know, God bless Paul Ellering, but they didn't really need a manager. Yeah. You know, um, kind of like it, it was kind of like when they put um, Ted DiBiase with the Steiners. They really didn't need a manager, but what are you going to say? Like Paul Ellering with with the AOP was amazing it was. i did yeah so um you had um tammy like candido's short time in wcw tammy was managing him there and it was great too yeah because she was very she was very involved um and very uh you know in a, in a very quality way like you were talking about with smoky mountain because i think she was honing her craft in smoky mountain oh she was and then like get as much time Twenty in Smoky Mountain. Yeah, so she didn't like later on. Even if she didn't get to do it as much, she was really more on top of her game later. I I want to go back to Jimmy Hart for a moment. Okay. I think um I think Jimmy Hart's greatest stuff actually most people haven't seen because it was in Memphis. Oh yeah. And when you bring up Jimmy Hart, you also need to mention former Southern heavyweight champion Jimmy Hart. <laughs> no way. Yeah, he won it at some point. <laughs> okay. I got one more to put out there. Mm, well, and this, I think this is a good one to talk about because of the longevity of this person as a manager. And that's Paul Heyman, who started as Polly Dangerously and then now, you know, as, as the thing that makes Brock Lesnar far more interesting i love um on old wcw stuff the danger zone i think is what it was called <laughs> oh yeah oh. i remember that and it's just, i forgot it's just and, but and the other thing i love is when he was when he was managing the Simone swat team like it was good character work like remember when he had that huge like cell phone in like the late 90s yeah into, well late 80s into the early 90s when he had the Simone swat team like they would just sit there and mess with it like confused by like what this strange object was 
Yeah. So he'd be talking, and they'd just be like, like one of them would just be sitting there, like pushing the buttons and stuff. It was always hilarious. Wow. Okay. And I'd forgotten about that. But. Dangerous Alliance is probably one of the best stables of all time. Oh yeah, I love that stable. That's real. I have a, su- a huge soft spot for that because uh, when I got into watching wrestling, they were on top. So, um, and it also makes so much more sense about how comfortable Heyman was giving Austin free reign in e- for that short stint in ECW because he was like, "Now nah, I know this guy. I'm not worried about it. He'll be fine." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we we rate we got any more managers? We want to go on to the next topic. We got another manager, me. Nah, I don't have I don't have good video footage of me being a manager going to the oh, next one. I forgot one. you started as a manager. Yep. And that's that's where the toilet seat came in. Oh nice. <laughs> I need to I need to post that uh on the Instagram. Uh yeah, I'll need to do that here soon. Okay. Anyway. This one's good this one's gonna require a little thought. Um what is your favorite run by a comic book creator? Hmm. Oh, I've got it. Okay, go for it. I've already got it. <clears throat> the um, 2000s run that Jeff John had on Justice Society of America. I thought that's where you were going to go. That is, yeah, well, and probably because I keep coming back to it. It is, without a doubt, some of my favorite comic book stuff of all time. Um, the biggest criticism I can have of it is... Well, first of all, it ended, and it didn't pass off into good hands. But the biggest criticism I could have for during his run is that, honestly, the team got too big. And it became very hard to do something compelling with a bunch of them. So, that got in worse. a lot of... That got worse with when they when they did the, the Justice Society of America book. And he brought, like, all those characters in that he proceeded to do nothing with because he had, like, a cast of, like, 22 people. That's what I'm talking about, yeah, is... Let's say you had a big two-page spread. Basically, everybody's defined by, like, one or two characteristics in that spread because that's really all you got to do with them. You know, Liberty Bell and Our Man, you know, were the very much in-love couple, but then that's, like, all you got out of them for a long time. Unless you did this zoom in and they did, you know, it was Liberty Bell talking down damage when he had Professor Zoom in a headlock and was getting ready to blow up the building or something. Um, And Liberty Bell talking it down and and talking about how she got to where she was or uh, stuff like that. You know, it's anytime if someone came into focus, if the the magnifying glass of whatever storyline came into focus on a particular person or a particular group of people that person became amazingly fleshed out. And I think part of the idea was to cycle through them so that by the time you got through them and came back around, everybody was well fleshed out and it wasn't a problem. It's just, I, I think the group expanded a little too quickly. Yeah. I so that. that's, that's mine. Easy, easy, easy pick. Um, I should have I should have kept talking to give you times guys more time to think I guess but uh, I, yeah I was reading to I try and that. figure out because one of mine um, it's a very short run but it's kind of a definitive run but Roger Stern on Amazing Spider Man um, okay I'm- 
Because that that time he did the the kid who collects uh, collects Spider Man, which is probably like still one of the best Spider Man stories. Mm-hmm. But he also introduced the Hobgoblin. Oh, okay. And um, I think it, I think he did the the Spider Man versus Juggernaut storyline, but I could be wrong on that. But that's from about that time period. Hmm. Okay. And then um, Spider Man Juggernaut's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting mix. Yeah, but he's like he's kind of from that like. What I would consider like my favorite era of Spider-Man is kind of that mid to late 80s era up to about like when a little after 300, like uh, probably after McFarlane left is about when it went downhill a bit. Okay. Um, As far as other runs... um, it's it doesn't count because I don't know if this counts because he's the creator, but I absolutely love uh, Warren Ellis and uh, Transmetropolitan. I've never read that. It's a it's highly political, but it's just it's just a fun like stupid read. <laughs> okay, yeah, I've ne- I've never read that. That's. It was one of the first ones I read. You know when you kind of like start breaking out of like the superhero mold and get into some like more mature stuff. I that was kind of like one of those first ones I read. So I have a oh, I have a soft spot for it. Dagon, you just reminded me. Uh, there's there's another one I have to add on mine. I'm glad you mentioned that. But the other, mm, I just love this series so much. Uh, is um, Kurt Busiek's Astro City. I love Astro City. Oh yeah. It is it is it is right up there with JSA as some stuff I just absolutely adore. Actually, you just reminded me um talking of Busick, um his runs on The Avengers in the late 90s and his his initial run on Thunderbolts are two of my favorite runs of all time. Wow. Okay. Matt, we've been reminding each other back and forth. Are we running into anything? Yeah, I actually have... Uh, I'll go with my main one, then an honorable mention. Okay. Uh, because I am a huge Batman mark. Uh, I'm going to go way back. Yeah. I'm going to go the late uh, 60s, early 70s run that was done by Dennis O'Neill and oh, wow. Neil Adams on Batman. Yeah. Okay. Because they took basically like, and I love the 1960s campy Batman show, but they decided we're going to like abandon all of that campy crap. Yeah. And we're going to take Batman back to kind of his dark roots. So they, they took Batman, they made him more serious again. Uh, they took a lot of the, the Batman villains and made them uh, kind of shocking and frightening again. Like Joker was presented kind of like comedically. Based upon the campy show, they changed that. They made him uh, more terrifying again. Like a, basically, they they did a lot to kind of cement him as this you know homicidal maniac that you've seen in uh, separate portrayals throughout the years. Uh, that team, O'Neill and Adams, created iconic characters like uh, Rachel Ghoul. Uh, they it was just tremendous. So uh, as oh, a wow. huge bat, huge Batman mark, I'm going to go with that team. I- uh, my Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say Neil Adams might be if he if he's not 
the best comic book artist of all time, he's top five at worst. He is fantastic. And he, yeah, his, go ahead. His X-Men run from like the 60s <clears throat> is fucking astonishing. That might yeah, be his he 70s. Is, yeah, he's uh he's seventy seven years old, but he is he's just amazing. Like he he's one of the greatest the greatest uh, artists of all time. Because like so, the stuff he drew back in like the sixties and seventies, if that stuff was on the newsstand today, people would be raving about how good it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole separate podcast it, about kind of like the state of the industry today. And he, he now it's now it's all like Tumblr rejects who yeah, are running yeah. Marvel yeah. and DC. Also created one of my favorite DC characters, Dead Man. Oh yeah, kind of an underrated character. Yeah, they've actually been doing in the last, uh, I would say, ten to fifteen years. They've done a little bit more with Dead Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the uh, Shadow Pact and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matt, you brought up Danny O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Danny O'Neill created one of my favorite char- one of my favorite villains too. Um, Bane is one of my favorite villains of all time. Oh, and yeah. That, that was Denny O'Neill basically just doing that whole arc to make a point. Mm-hmm. To say that the edgy Batman that kills people is stupid and won't work. And here, we'll prove it. And he was right. And in the process, he made an amazing villain. Provided people write him like, you know, the actual characterization. Not like the flipping Joel Schumacher version or something. So, Bane, tell your friends. Yeah, <laughs> their uh, their Green Arrow, uh, Green Lantern stuff doesn't age well, though. It's a little too preachy and ham-fisted. I think it was kind of meant to be at the time, yeah. because no one was doing it. So they're like, "Well, we're gonna." But um, I would say he drew. The, I would say Neil Adams did the definitive like uh, Green Arrow and Hal Jordan that you like think of, though, like. Oh yeah, art style. Yeah, uh, my honorable mention uh, yeah. for uh, we're doing because we're doing like specific runs. I would go, and this is a character who I like, but I'm not even like he's not even like in not even in my top ten. But I just think it was kind of revolutionary at the time. And uh, going if you look at it like long term, it probably did more to, to build that character up and make him kind of like a thing today. Yeah. Uh, the Frank Miller run on Daredevil back in oh, the yeah. late seventies, early eighties, where mm. he he introduced Elektra. Um, he really kind of he actually brought that, and made that a little bit of a darker turn as well. Kind of added a lot of the he focused a little bit more on the whole martial arts elements of Daredevil, actually giving him an explanation as to why he was such a great hand to hand fighter. They hyped up uh, the hand. Uh, uh, Daredevil's mentor stick. These are all elements that we've actually seen incorporated into actual live action TV with the whole Netflix show. Uh, All of that can kind of be traced back to the Frank Miller run, or at least I feel it's, it's heavily influenced by it. So he did a great job. He's someone who Frank Miller is interesting because you have see in the eighties, he did a lot of like iconic work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But nowadays he's kind of like batshit insane. (laughs) <laughs> he's, kind of like, he's kind of kooky. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, you know, I, I don't. Wasn't he supposed to at one point? He was working on like a, 
a really weird Batman versus Al Qaeda comic that came out. That think... came out without Get Batman. It? Yeah, I'd have to look it up. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he was working on some really weird like Batman versus the War on Terror yeah. type of comic. Yeah. Holy huh. Terror, Batman! Uh, I think. But oh, okay, like I it did come I out. I did not. I did not hear if it ever um, came out. He actually did. Wow, do you remember in like the mid two thousands? The uh, All Star oh Batman my and Robin. God. That's that's what that that's got Frank the homeless hobo wearing a Batman costume, right? That has the that, I'm the goddamn Batman. I'm the goddamn that, Batman. Yeah, that's that what, was absolutely insane. If you're familiar with Linkara, he refers to that character. He says that's obviously not Batman. So he refers to him as Frank the homeless hobo wearing a Batman costume. That um, that All Star Batman got well. The Dark Knight 2 and All-Star Batman got Frank Miller on my do-not-buy-from list. Yeah. Now, Matt, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Because you were referencing um, earlier the the 70s, 80s run on Batman. Does that include the death of Robin? I don't... uh, The death of Jason uh, Todd? Jason Todd, no, that was like in the 80s. That was like 89. Uh, That's post-crisis. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, For some reason in my head, that's always in the wrong time period, so I thought I'd ask. No, I think that was like Michael Barr. Like, that was like Mike Barr writing, I think, at the time. O'Neill was it? No, O'Neill was part of it. Well, he was was the editor at the time. Okay. I think, I think, um, because I've I've read that run a couple years ago, but I don't remember who it was writing. Okay. Also, well, I wa- if you if you actually go back and read that story, it is kind of insane because at the end they literally this is like around that was published in like what late eighties. It was like eighty nine, lit- probably. Yeah, they literally had Joker uh, become like the ambassador for like Iraq or Iran. Iran. Or something. It was Iran. It was I like Khomeini. Yeah, it was on like the page. Just fucking insane. Like, <laughs> why were they going in that direction? It, it was weird. Th- but that was like. Diplomatic immunity was like a big plot device at the time. Mm-hmm. But you you did remind me, speaking of another like really great run from the 2000s, was Ed Brubaker on Captain America. Mm. Okay. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. But I think Frank Miller's run on Daredevil is really great. Um, he, really, he really changed the entire like idea of the character because... Really, before Frank Miller, Daredevil was just kind of this also ran that no one cared about. Right. Right. Okay, guys, you ready for the final topic for the night? I'm listening. Oh, this one might take a while. (laughs) What is your favorite kaiju movie? Wow. This is not something I have a whole lot of depth on. Well, I'll start since since um I can tell you like a couple. So we'll go we'll go like real old school. The original got black and white Godzilla movie is a really solid like horror film. Like people tend to think of like the campier, goofy like stuff from the sixties and seventies. But if you if you watch that original Godzilla movie, like it's a terrifying tale of like. <laughs> this monster like destroying Tokyo and like they are not shy about showing the devastation in the aftermath of like what he did. 
Well, he's supposed to be the walking personification of a nuclear weapon, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it, the the film is very much supposed to be kind of like an allegory about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm going to because it's not a good movie, but I absolutely love the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode for it. But Gamera vs. Giran is one of my favorites just because Giran's like a giant Gensu knife. <laughs> is that the one where they're like, Gamera is really yes. neat. Gamera is full of meat. We are eating Gamera. Yep, that one. <laughs> you know, Wait a I, that was what, was the, what was the second monster's name? Giran. Giran? Oh, Giron. Giron. It's G-U-I-R-O-N. Actually, okay. now I, now I kind of want to watch some old MST3K shows. Oh, okay. Matt, uh, that had to be that had to be where they got the inspiration for that Pacific Rim monster. Matt, if you go on if you go on the 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 main Mystery Science Theater website, like the official one, they have all the episodes there that you could watch. Wow. Um. Also, I'm gonna. You know, they have like they have one or two seasons of like new episodes on Netflix. Yeah, I, I just I, had no chance to watch those. I'm not as interested because Mike isn't writing them, mm-hmm. and it just it just doesn't feel right if he's not writing it. But I'll I'll watch it eventually. It's just I haven't gotten to it yet. I I have to put in a plug right here for Rift Tracks. Rift Tracks are amazing. You should absolutely. Yep. Uh, try out Rift Tracks. It, it feels exactly like Mystery Science Theater 3000 because Mike's writing it has the same like tone, the same um, the same like timing and all that stuff. It has turned, no kidding, it turned the Matrix back into an amazing viewing experience again. I have I I, it, I can't describe just how much fun it is to watch again. I'm so I'm currently looking at because I'm near my DVDs and my all my Godzilla stuffs all like um, lined up here. Mm-hmm. Um, Godzilla vs. Biollante is a favorite. I don't know if it's good, but that's like they did that one in the late '80s, and it's kind of when they started doing them again. And it's like it's kind of like the first Godzilla movie with like good special effects attached to it, and he's kind of back to being like a badass. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not a kaiju movie, but it ins- oh, uh, there, this is a double answer. So King Kong vs Godzilla, I think, is an amazing movie. That's a very fun movie. Yeah. and um, it's not kaiju, but the original King Kong is holds up really well and still is uh mm-hmm. worth watching. Okay, all right. Uh, sidebar: Have either of you seen the what was it? Was it? What year did they do the the King Kong one by Peter Jackson? That was like two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Okay, how did you think of how, how did you feel about that one? I didn't like it. I thought it was it drug on too long. It was like a three hour movie, that, at least. That's what. See, okay, I have to admit this. I am. Even though I enjoy kaiju stuff a lot, I have seen like hardly any kaiju movies. Uh, I, I it's unfortunately true. like I have I think I still have a copy of GameCube Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, which was amazing fun. I played it on the NES. I played kai, um, giant monster fighting games on uh, the uh, the NES and the Super NES and stuff, but. It comes to movies. I just don't have much to contribute. So I, uh, but 
God, we started this somewhere. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I lost my train of thought. I'm done. I'm I, uh, I'm a huge uh, kaiju fan. Like, if you put a giant monster in the movie, I will probably watch it at some point. Okay, then what was your opinion on Pacific Rim? Uh, I have not seen the sequel. I saw the first one. Um, I liked it. Uh, I've only seen it once, though. I haven't. I haven't gone back for any repeat viewing. You, so you could use that one, Shad, because that is a kaiju movie. I yeah. haven't seen it either. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> I know it's a kaiju movie. They call them kaiju in the movie, therefore it becomes a kaiju movie. I keep meaning to watch it, and then everywhere I've got it saved, like it like goes off of rotation for that streaming service or something. So, did you I, see? <sighs> did you see Kong Skull Island? Nope. Uh, that was actually. I thought that was better than Pacific Rim. It was actually pretty fun. You have, you have a. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson kind of being crazy. You have uh, what's his name, John C. Riley, in like a very kind of like funny comedic role. Okay. Uh, you had Kong basically kind of being like a, the good guy of the film. It made him like a hero, and they're building up towards a Godzilla versus Kong movie. And uh, I think that's supposed to come out like next year, like later this year. They're having a the sequel to the the American. The, the second American Kong movie. I'm uh, not Kong movie. American uh, Godzilla movie, which uh, I liked. Oh, yeah. Okay. I liked the 2014 Godzilla movie. Uh, that was American. But I also, I had issues with it because I kind of was expecting more giant monsters fighting and you didn't really get a whole ton of that. But the, yeah, they, they hyped that up so much over the, uh, in the trailers and stuff with the whole let them fight meme. But yeah, but I did like, <laughs> I did like uh, I did like that they really focused on the concept that is kind of a trope that they use with uh, some of the Godzilla movies or some of the I mean there are different versions of Godzilla. Uh, there's different ways that he's presented. Sometimes he's presented like purely like heroic, like he's a good person. Sometimes like as in the original one, he's presented basically as just he is a force of nature. He's uh, you know almost demonic in that he just is. A, a, total destruction he, again he's supposed to be like an an allegory for the atom bomb but there's some where he's like almost like a superhero he's protecting humanity yeah. but, right. a, but there are a lot of uh, representations of godzilla the ones i actually kind of like in the 2014 when kind of focus upon this where he's pre- it's godzilla is basically presented essentially as a living god like he is basically for all extensive purposes he's a god like he's almost unkillable he's unstoppable we're basically ants compared to godzilla like it's almost like a lovecraftian kind of concept where it's like uh we're insignificant and god forbid if this creature actually does turn its attention upon us because then it just wrecks massive destruction um but they did kind of make the 2014 godzilla kind of like heroic and that he was at least killing uh the main evil monsters and didn't have any explicit uh, animosity towards human beings. So that was interesting. I mean, I'm, it looks like this uh, movie that's coming out this year, he's going to fight uh, Ghidorah, which is, could be like really awesome. Yeah. Okay. Ghidorah's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. Just if when you have Ghidorah, you have to have like 20 monsters, like trying to take him down. Mm-hmm. That's always kind of like, I like the one where I think it's destroy all monsters where they like take over all the monsters and then they break loose and it's literally 
like the end is Ghidorah like in a field and there's like 30 monsters from like Monster Island that just go at him. I, I, I want to um, back up for just a second on the, the 2014 Godzilla. I do have a tiny contribution on this. I, I remembered while we were talking, by the way, I did watch the Godzilla animated cartoon series on Cartoon Network. Which one? The 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 one with Godzuki or the one that yeah, was... Yeah, the one with Godzuki. <clears throat> oh, it's not the one... Uh... In like the late '90s, early 2000s, with a that was kind of Godzilla. No, huh? you know what though? I have actually heard from people who have seen that show. I have not seen it, but I've heard from people that that the cartoon show actually wasn't bad. <laughs> not that it's like a classic cartoon show, but I've heard it's it was long- at least wow, like light years better than the actual. At least it, it's not Matthew Broderick just remarking on it being a lot of fish. Yeah, there's one. Yeah. Um, it was one of the last Japanese ones, like of that of one of the eras that had Don Fry in it. I was going to actually talk about that. That is Godzilla Final Wars, which, if you have not seen, <laughs> is actually a fun movie. And Don Fry is kind of presented as like a badass and a heroic person. Yeah, because that one, <clears throat> that one's pretty much just, oh, like um, we have twenty minutes left. Like, let's just let Godzilla kill everything that's ever been in a Godzilla movie. Yeah, I think they even work. That's a really, that's a really fun movie, by the and way. That movie gets credit because they actually managed to work King Caesar into it. Yeah. And um, they made guy, they made Gigant like really badass in that one. Yeah, if I'll let me talk about mine. I'll I'll, I'll ch- tell you my favorite kaiju movie. Um, I'm again, I'm a huge kaiju fan. I've seen multiple different ones, multiple different properties. My favorite kaiju of all time is Godzilla, and my favorite mo- uh, kind of kaiju giant monster movie of all time. It's purely because when I was a kid, I saw this movie. They played this on like probably like local uh, syndicated TV. They played this like f- kind of frequently. I-, I swear to God, they would air this on like UPN or something like that. Like my local, like whatever, like, you know, those like, if you had the old UHF, I'm really yeah. dating myself, but like the old where it's like turn to channel 20. It's like, it wasn't Fox or ABC, NBC, CBS, any of those. It was just like your local access, not local access, but like your local channel that syndicated crap on like the weekends. Yeah. You can get like martial arts films on a Saturday morning, something like that. Yeah. Uh, they played Godzilla versus Megalon. Oh, the- and I marked, out for that because it was Godzilla teaming up with uh, robot Jet Jaguar. Yes. <laughs> uh, like Android that somehow like grew to like Godzilla size and they they were basically getting a tag team match against Gigan and like the giant like cockroach yeah. beetle thing Megalon. And it was it was basically a wrestling tag team match. That's the infamous him sliding on his tail isn't it he did a he did a goddamn drop kick yeah <laughs> it was a drop i swear to god uh i think they didn't they did they do this one on msg3k yes, i the, think they did. There, there's only two godzilla movies on um mystery science theater 3000 it's godzilla vs megalon and godzilla vs the sea monster yeah. Okay. But I, you guys have I, reminded I it me because, because it basically was a tag team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've reminded me, and it, this might be pushing it on whether or not we can call it a kaiju film. But I 
think I do have one I have seen beginning to end. The question is, given the perspective and the usual styling that happens with kaiju movies, if it counts, but whether or not Cloverfield counts. I would count Cloverfield. Okay. I would count Cloverfield, and I actually like Cloverfield. I have uh, I have mixed feelings on Cloverfield. I um I have some in in the lead up to it. I remember um, the nostalgia critic was trying to he was he was working on being funny on on what it could be, and he came up with all these weird ideas. <clears throat> and then finally, his review comes out, and he says, "I just want to tell you all." I saw Cloverfield, and I have a definitive answer on what I think. And I can tell you most definitely, clearly, without reservation, it was okay. And that was the whole review, uh, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. But I did watch it. Um, it was, I you know, I, I enjoyed the gimmick to it, right? The, the whole idea and how they took the time to, to build the tension uh, until the, the creature showed up in full and um i also appreciate all the all the uh orange you know the the arg stuff and things that went on around it to add more information um you know through the website and things like that i will the there's one thing it freaked me out one thing freaked me out in watching that and it was what happened to the people that got bit by the uh by the fleas that came off the Cloverfield thing. I mean, when they take her behind the curtain and she just explodes. Yeah, that yeah, that was kind of poorly explained. Well, they it, yeah, it's just they they edit it like you see the trailer, like they actually show her explode like legit. Yeah, and then they cut that like out of the movie. It was like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That's that's where it stuck with me was I saw it in the trailer and I was just like, whoa, just. Just whoa, hang on it. Whoa, you can't just what are you? Whoa, and then you know, I watched it. Now I, you know, I I thought it was all right. Um, apparently, the the I think I think the director clarified at the end of the film. Yes, the hammer down protocol killed the monster. Like there's there's not a that's that's not up for debate. But um, yeah, that's that's my full contribution. That's that's what I got now. I was gonna I was gonna say um, about old kaiju's on movies is TNT used to show a lot of Godzilla stuff, and um, we were really young when it was out. But do you remember the TBS had that Saturday morning monster show with um, Grandpa from the Munsters hosting it? I don't quite remember this. I feel like I remember him hosting a show, though. Yeah, that's where I saw a lot of these. Um, the only two I ever owned on VHS was Godzilla vs. Megalon and King Kong vs. Godzilla. But I remember, like, I'd go to the video store. This is even before Blockbuster was really in where I lived. And I would just rent all... Like, they had a wall of them, and I just rented all of them. Hmm. Uh, I remember TNT used to show like a bunch of they'd they'd have like a weekend once a year for a stretch where they just did like Mighty Joe Young movies. Yeah. So that's really like a that's really kind of like a missed thing on TV. Other than like the Sven Gulli is um like that those monster like like the monster like movies. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let me ask a question. Uh, this is probably not for Shad since you don't, you haven't seen many kaiju movies. But Brad, have you seen a uh, have you seen Shin Godzilla? No, I've heard of it, but um, I didn't see like I I don't see like a lot of movies now just because um, I don't like going to the movie theater and it's so expensive and um, it's hit or miss if like I actually catch it on Amazon like for a rental or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's on any of the streaming services uh, like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, uh, but I have heard good things about it. it Shin Godzilla is uh, a Japanese-made Godzilla movie. It came out 2016, so uh, it's going to be going on three years now. But that uh, it basically, it seems that what they were trying to do is kind of like, I don't know if they're trying to reboot it. I think it's kind of it supposed to be a reboot, but they're bringing it back essentially to the initial roots of the franchise where Godzilla is not presented in the film as like a hero. He's not fighting other kaiju. He's just presented again as this like force of nature that is incredibly destructive. Uh, I've seen clips from it and it honestly freaks me out because this like the, the design concept of this Godzilla is a lot different than the other ones. He looks just like grotesque and it, to the extent that they can make Godzilla like scary looking, he looks kind of scary looking. And there are portions of the film where we actually see Godzilla evolve. Like he starts off kind of like as a like an in, like more of like an infant Godzilla, and he evolves into uh, increasingly larger shapes. And everything is like really like creepy. There's when he's in like the the youngest stage, it looks really creepy. Like you can actually Google it. It's- he has like these dead fish eyes and it's just like it's almost like disturbing to look at so it is on it is on amazon i might have to check that out oh cool i need to, yeah it's i need to see it's Kong basically a too. horror film it, the shin godzilla is basically a horror film because he is just he's destroying like tokyo and it's he's not presented as something that's uh good in any way he's just like a force of nature that is destroying everything and has no control over itself but it's all it's kind of like this grotesque like concept for the the character and i'm kind of fascinated to watch it it got a uh, pretty good reviews so i i love again i love giant monster films so I'll, i'm sure i'll watch it at some point yeah i i love old it's one of my favorite um pastimes is like b movies from like the 50s and 60s and 70s um, but hmm. kaiju's always like I've loved it since I was a kid. Like it's just something you never outgrow. There's just something, especially like the older stuff. There's just something about two guys in rubber suits rolling around with each other that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Consider it's like the best representation of dinosaur fights you could have. Yeah, I would agree with so. that. And so there's even stuff like I even love stuff like Ultraman and that that stuff too. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah, right. I mean I I was a little old um to be getting into it, but I do kind of appreciate the whole like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers franchise. Yeah. Um just because they kind of did the whole like kaiju. It, it hit it, it 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 was I got about a solid year out of it before I got too old for it. That's... See, when it came out, I was already kind of too old for it. But I did watch, like, the first one or two seasons. Um, and it was goofy. But I kind of did appreciate, well, like, the giant kaiju um, battles. 
it's a weird show because like it's it like by that point it it was like the action footage was like six or seven years old and they pretty much mm-hmm. took like the 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 action scenes from a japanese show and then shot like the american parts and then did yeah. over it interesting if if that's something you guys are ever interested in there is a um Linkara, who's usually a comic book reviewer, I, I mentioned him earlier. Um, he did a series on the the history of the Power Rangers. One of my favorite lines that he uses that is, and then the Rangers fight some stock footage. Because that absolutely happens. Apparently, after the the first the end of the first season is when like they switch from the original Zords to new ones, and in the second season They've got the Thunder and the Samurai or Shogun Zords or something like that. So they have those, and that's. It was interesting to me to learn that they they actually bought the suits for those Zords in that second season. So I was like, oh, cool. If you buy the suits for those, you can get a lot more longevity and shoot original footage, right? Nope. The end of that season, they cut it off and they switched to something else. Uh, and so they kept rolling. By switching series with the Japanese series, which I don't know. That, that seems kind of. If you have the stuff now, why don't you go ahead and make your own, as opposed to like the foot, like the footage quality doesn't doesn't match and stuff. Well, I think because I think but, in Japan they like they change like it's a new show. Yeah. Like that's how it's, it's a, had longevity. Yeah, every season is is a new cast of characters and a new show, and they're only like maybe kind of sort of related. But in the U.S., they just wanted to make it into a long running series. Um, I don't know. I w- I'm a little bit younger than you guys, so I got a little more mileage out of it. But uh, eh. I, I guess I guess that's a that's a kaiju foray. Well, see, I think part of the problem I had with it. Um, was I was old enough to have a good memory of like Voltron and um, the original Megazord is very Voltronish in yeah. color scheme and design. So I, th- I kind of think that's intentional. It came it came across like kind of as a Voltron ripoff. Which um, going with Kaiju, another one of my great loves in life is Mecha anime. Oh, mm-hmm. do you go Big O? I I liked Big O. It wasn't my favorite. I'm more of a <laughs> I'm more of like a Mazinger fan and um, like I like Voltron and um, some of the Gundam shows are really good, but that series is like crazy. My, my brother was a Gundam fan. I remember when it was airing on a uh, Cartoon Network. I never really got into the Gundam shows. I just I, I watched a little bit of Gundam Wing. Yeah, that's the one. And I just remember that like the main villain had the most ridiculous name ever, Trey's Kushranada. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> it's like what? Um, I like Big O though. Let's be fair. That that does kind of like just flow off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Like like that's that's got a nice flow. That show was interesting um, though because it had a very Victorian like look to it, but then you had these giant robots running around shooting each other. Okay. If giant, if we're on giant robots, what about uh, BattleTech and Robotech stuff? Uh, Robotech, I still love. Um, if you're going, if you haven't seen it, 
tracked down when they redubbed it like a decade ago. Yeah. It's uh it, it's much better. Don't watch past like the Macross stuff though, the other stuff sucks. Um what was the other one? Um Battletech and Robotech. Battletech, I guess. Uh, I love the That was the one that was the one that had the, the one with the like for some reason that mech had an axe just like in its hand, I think. I know Battletech more from the um, miniatures game, which I and the the lore from like the miniatures game, which I'm a big fan of. Oh yeah, because um, I had uh, Mech Warrior. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had Mech Warrior two or three. I can't remember which one. I played the fire out of that. I think it's Mech I Warrior really... two. The... Mech Warrior two is the big one, I think. Mech Warrior two was you were all clan fighting each other. Yeah. It wasn't clan versus inner sphere. I got really good at legging mechs in that game, and then you go into Mech Warrior 3, and it's like, well, it doesn't really... It just lames it a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I spent a whole game being really good at blowing it, legging mechs, and now they're like, no, it just slows them down a little bit. Daggone it. All right, there's my, like, semi-adjacent contribution on, on the the giant smashy bits thing. Well, that was... All right. That was, let me look, that was five topics tonight? Five topics. Five topics. That's a pretty good array of topics, I think. Yeah, I think so. Got some wrestling in there, got some stuff outside of wrestling. Sure. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess whenever I put this on Instagram, I'm gonna have to, I'll have to go and, and, and get one of my manager pictures to put up for this one. If I'm gonna invoke me being... <laughs> I mean, may as well. That fits as good as anything else, right? Yeah. So, so hopefully, right. hopefully we will have a um, we're gonna have a one of Shad's wrestling colleagues on next week. That's the plan. Yep. That's the plan. So unless, uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we'll have him on. But if the creek does rise, we'll 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 still come up with something. Yep. We'll figure it out. So, all right, guys. Well. Um, that has been a bag of holding episode of the Four Corners Podcast. We want to say thank you for joining us. Please reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Um, guys, is there anything you want to sign off with Sign off with tonight? Nope, I'm good. Oh. I'm good. All right. Well, this is Shad with Brad and Matt. Uh, we've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>